1: Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly, and then stay tuned at nine for Big Town. The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Johnson self-polishing glow coat presents Silver McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, Dick LeGrand, Bud Steffen, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsman and Billy Mills Orchestra. You know, there's genuine pleasure in looking at the smooth surface of a waxed floor. It has such a rich, such a mellow look. In fact, that blistening waxed finish makes the whole room more beautiful. And when you wax your floor, there's a special reason for using Johnson's Paste Wax. No other wax can beautify your room in exactly the same way. Little wonder more women use Johnson's Paste Wax than any other kind. Those women know that Johnson's Paste Wax does more than beautify their floors. It also protects their floors forms a hard shield over the surface, a shield that dirt can't readily penetrate, a shield that's very easy to clean. When dirt does collect, you can whisk it off that gleaming waxed surface in a few seconds. Next time you're at the store, be sure to ask for Johnson's Paste Wax. It's the paste wax that more women use and keep using because no other wax can bring such lustrous beauty to the floors of a home in exactly the same way. Johnson's Paste Wax. History shows that many a genius flowers late in life. At 50, Darwin wrote the monumental Origin of Species. At 85, Farwell Dilworthy tried to carve a canoe paddle with his bifocals on and thus invented the mustard spreader. <laughs> At 67, Norton W. Aspenloop tripped over his groceries, got molasses all over the fruit, and the world is richer for the taffy apple. And at 79, Wistful Vista, that is, another middle-aged genius is hard at work on his great idea. As we meet, River McGee and Molly. <laughs> My, that's an awfully
2: long letter you're writing, McGee. Who do we know that deserves that?
3: This ain't a letter, Tootsie. I'm writing a movie. A little project that's going to make me famous and both of us rich. Hey, how do you spell century?
2: C-E-N-T-U-R-Y.
3: That's the way I got it, and it don't look right.
2: How are you using it?
3: Well, I say rifle on shoulder, keen senses alert to every sound, the century was walking his post. (laughs)
2: That's century, dearie, S-E-N-T-R-Y.
3: I thought a century was a hundred years. No,
2: that's century.
3: Yeah. (laughs) I guess you're right at that. I've done century duty in the army and by the time you get relieved it sure seems like a hundred (laughs) years.
2: Tell me more about this movie you're writing, sweetheart. I said
3: a movie, but that's just one angle of it. Oh? First, I'll make it into a movie, then a best-selling book. Then it'll go into a two-bit drugstore reprint and be syndicated in the newspapers. Oh? Now, you say the movie people pay me a nominal fee of 200000 For a nominal fee, dearie, that's the nominal.
2: Mm. <laughs> but what's the story about?
3: Well, you remember seeing a movie where Don Amici invented the telephone.
2: Yes, and I saw the sequel to it, too. Sorry, wrong number. <laughs>
3: Well, they've done the story of the telephone, the story of radium, the story of baseball, Al Jolson, the Philadelphia story, but what's the story they haven't done? What? The story of the typewriter. Ain't that a Lulu?
2: It's a darb, as we used to
3: say in Peoria. (laughs) You betcha. When you stop and think how the typewriter is tied up to culture, commerce, business, communication, why, might I? It's amazing
2: that nobody ever thought of it before.
3: Well, that's what they said when the non-skid paperclip was invented, kiddo. (laughs) Sir... And the zipper. Just Yankee ingenuity.
2: You mean every Yank needs the zipper and vice versa?
3: Yeah. Well, I gotta get busy, babe. Can't mess around with half a million bucks at stake. Oh, Done any
2: research on the subject of the typewriter, McGee?
3: Plenty, Tootsie. Spent nearly 15 minutes with the encyclopedia, for one thing. For another thing, I may go to the library a little later. Ah, uh, for the doorbell, doorbell, doorbell. All day long. How can a guy write movie scenarios with that doorbell clanging at all hours of the day?
2: That's the first time it's rung this morning, Pat.
3: Well, it won't be the last if I know Tuesday, and I ought to.
2: Come in. Oh, it's Dr. Gamble, McGee. Do come in, doctor. Thank you,
3: my dear. Good morning, Stern Wheeler.
2: <laughs>
4: Hi,
3: gaspane. <laughs> May I give you a word of advice? Certainly. It won't be worth anything, and I probably won't take it, but I know better than to try to stop you.
2: (laughs) What is it, dearie?
3: I just wanted to advise the good Dr. Gamble that the next time he calls on an author to make an appointment first. Don't just barge in like a cub bear jumping into a hollow log. (laughs) Did you say author, possum face? (laughs) What are you authoring, a book on bad manners? I'll give you a title. How to pull chairs out from under ladies or digging
1: post holes with Emily.
2: He's writing a movie, Doctor. They say there's good money in it if you can do it.
1: It's
3: good money in Fort Knox if you can get at it. (laughs) Look, tonsil nipper. You stick to your racket and I'll stick to mine. You don't tell me how to get literary and I won't tell you how to retouch a millionaire's x-ray so it looks like he's got ulcers. (laughs) Now I'll give you some advice, then let you go on your merry Hemingway. <laughs> Don't be an author, it's a tough life.
2: Speaking from experience, Doctor?
3: No, but my brother is an author, and for him life is just one boring round of receptions and teas. What does he write, Fatso? He writes a comic strip.
2: Oh, you mean a comic strip writer has to attend a lot of literary teas?
3: No, just strip teas. LAUGHTER I can hardly wait to see Doc's face when those movie people hand me a check for a couple of hundred thousand.
2: I can hardly wait to see my own. Betcha. My eyes will pop off so far the pupils will think it's recess.
3: Now, you just be patient, my dear. One of these days we'll have a swimming pool and a private yacht and our own box at the races.
2: Oh, wonderful. Yeah. We can take turns standing on it.
3: Well, back to work, Snooky. Bring me some black coffee, will you? That'll keep me awake.
2: Keep you awake? You've only been out of bed two hours. <laughs> Besides, you don't like black coffee.
3: I gotta like it. I gotta learn to like it. All authors live on black coffee and smoke pipes. That's <laughs> rather I wish I had some carbon paper.
2: You mean you're not keeping an extra coffee? Oh, sure.
3: I haven't got any carbon paper, though, so I'm typing every line twice. <laughs> sure, then I'll cut it apart and paste up two copies. <laughs> away, Sophie, if you just would use the old... Come in. Oh, Wally Wimple. Hi,
4: Wally.
5: Hello, Mr. Wimple. Hello, folks. <laughs> I hope I'm not including. <laughs> not at all, Wimple. The world has waited a thousand
2: years
3: for this stuff I'm working on. It can wait another three minutes.
5: Oh, I see you're working, Mr. McGee. Novel?
2: Anytime you find him working, it's novel. Novel. <laughs>
3: writing a movie, Wimp, about the invention and development of the typewriter. I've already telegraphed a couple of big movie stars to hold ourselves ready for it.
5: Hey, you're in for yourself, aren't you, Wimp? Oh, indeed I am.
2: <laughs> I, I write poetry.
5: Oh? Would you like to hear my most recent one? Oh, yes,
2: we would, Mr. Wimple. What's the name of it? Well, <laughs>
5: I call it A Lobster and an Oyster.
3: Well, well, let's hear it before I have to go back to work in about 30 seconds.
5: Right? All righty. <clears throat> a lobster and an oyster sat upon the ocean bed, discussing this and that until the puzzled oyster said, How come you wave your nippers so? Keep rinsing off your paws, said the lobster. I'm a cynic. I don't believe in Sandy claws." <laughs>
3: Isn't
5: that cute? Yeah, but being a novelist myself. Oh, I... there's another verse, folks. Oh dear. It goes, said the oyster. Watch my bowl, ball of yarn. You're such a clumsy cuss. I'm making eight argyle socks for a lady octopus. The lobster said, "You have no hands, yet you knit things for your girl." Not knit, replied the oyster. But let me show you how I pearl. <laughs> I don't want you anymore it's now, Mr. McGill. So long.
2: They're coming along, McGee. Great, Tootsie, great. This story is going to have everything
3: a story needs to be a knockout, Molly. Really? What suspense. Uh-huh. For instance, on the first page of my story, there's a murder.
2: A murder on the first page? Yep. An
3: inventor is found dead in his laboratory, clutching a crushed orchid, a dry martini, and a copy of the hardware journal. <laughs> That's the attention grabber, see? I see.
2: Then what?
3: Then on page two, I switch to England in the Middle Ages.
2: hmm <laughs> When do you come back to the murdered inventor? Ah,
3: uh-huh, that's the gimmick, kiddo. I don't ever come back to him.
2: <laughs> Naturally,
3: the reader keeps looking for the killer, and he's, after he's read the whole script, before he realizes the murder has got nothing to do with the story.
2: <laughs> you catch
3: on? Subtle?
2: <laughs> Heavenly days, you authors have more angles. Oh, uh, that ought to
3: be milk from Kramer's drugstore. I phoned for some more typewriter paper, and Come in.
2: Oh, hello, Milton.
6: Hello, Come Mrs. in. Hello, McGee. I, I brought a ream of paper, like you said, Mr. McGee. Five hundred sheets. Would you mind telling me what you're going to do with it?
3: Oh, I'm
2: doing some
6: writing, Milton. You ever try to do any writing? Oh, yes. I used to write a lot of fiction. Oh? Not under my own name, though. I signed it Millicent Kramer. Millicent? That's my mother's name. Oh. Oh, how
2: nice. What kind of fiction did you write, Milton?
6: Mostly just excuses for being absent from school. <laughs>
3: Well, writing is a great career, Milt, my boy. <laughs> the thing that appeals to me about it is you can make a living sitting down.
6: <clears throat>
3: you ought to take up journalism, Milt.
6: Oh, I've tried that, too, but it hurt my feet. Hurt your feet, Milton? What kind of journalism was that? Ladies' home journalism. <laughs> I used to deliver them. That's how I met Margie. Oh? She's the girl I'm going steady study with since last Thursday. The one that always smells so good on account of I'm giving it presents like perfume. It's
2: oh,
3: very smart, Milt. Girls never get enough perfume. Yours didn't. Huh? <laughs> oh. Well, I didn't work in my uncle's drugstore like Milt does. <laughs> oh, you gotta go, Milt?
6: Oh, yeah, I gotta get back to the store. We're taking inventory today. Oh? Uh-huh. And if Uncle Ed checks the perfume stock before I get back, I'm dead. <laughs>
3: Getting the story of the typewriter told, Molly. I got so much stuff in my head to write down. Well, how far
2: have you gotten with it anyway? You were telling me about page two when Milton came in. Oh, well, I'm I'm
3: I'm up to chapter five on it now. Oh. Just a good start. What I'm doing right now is working several countries into the story, you see, giving it a sort of an international touch.
2: Oh, you mean like the Marshall Plan? Yeah. That's the biggest international touch I know
3: of. How does this sound? Listen. Grinding his Egyptian cigarette out on the African leopard skin rug and taking the beautiful Hungarian countess Toujours in his arms, young Marsh Jefferson gazed hungrily into her eyes. Young who? Young Mars Jefferson. He's the playboy son of a family of southern aristocrats who fled to England to escape the poll tax. I <laughs> see. Anyhow, young Mars Jefferson gazed hungrily into her eyes. What
2: does the Countess do? Feed him a corn poem?
3: Oh, I, I got a turning point right here, right now, and I can take the story two ways from here. He Sounds seems.
2: like it's gone four ways already.
3: You see, I say, as the Countess lifted her face toward his, a sound was heard in the distance.
2: What was the sound?
3: I haven't decided yet. It can either be peasants shouting, which means the French Revolution has busted out, or horses' hoofs, which means the U.S. cavalry is coming.
2: <laughs> if it turns out to be gunfire, it means eight literary critics have just shot themselves. <laughs> Look, Daryl, you now this is uh... Hello, Molly. Hi, a pal. Hello, Mr.
1: Wilcox. Come on in. Sit down, Junior, but don't talk. I'm creating. What's he creating, Molly, besides the funny noise on that paper spoiler?
2: Well, he's writing the story of the invention of the typewriter, Mr. Wilcox. His version of it, at least.
1: Really? Well, look, pal, I used to do a little writing. Let me give you a tip, will you?
2: You'll welcome it, won't you, dearie?
1: No, but I'll be
2: polite
3: about it. Okay, Junior, unburden yourself. I ain't heard anything about you writing the great American novel, but go ahead.
1: Tell the author how to write. Well, I was just going to suggest that you keep it simple. You see, when I first started writing advertising for Johnson's face Wax... I used to say, Johnson's Paste Wax will render your possessions invulnerable to abrasions, impregnable to friction, attrition, and confrication. Stuff like that.
2: I think that's beautiful writing. Personally, I don't care. I used to say
1: that... things like, Johnson's Paste Wax inevitably imparts a coruscating, scintillating fulguration to one's floors, furniture, and woodwork, which endows the domicile with joviality and vivacity, and attracts the spirit, spirit of euphosyne to the dwellers therein. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: I <It> almost didn't. <laughs> you keep writing like that, Junior, and they'll revoke your poetic license. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they would
2: have sold a lot of Johnson's Face Wax, though, if anybody knew what you
1: meant. Well, that's what the company says. They said, look, kid, let's just keep it simple. <laughs> just tell them that Johnson's Face Wax will give floors, furniture, and woodwork a soft, gleaming luster that shines with the happy look of a well-loved home. That will give a new protection and beauty that time and age hey, cannot... Hey, uh, hey he can't. hey, look. Waxy. Yes, pal. Hey, look. I, I'd like to stay and criticize your story, but I've got to run along. This is World Trade Week, you know, and I've got to address a meeting... This um,
2: is what week, Mr. Wilcox?
1: World Trade Week, Molly. A week set aside to highlight the trade between na- nations. Oh, that. Well, I'm in favor of that, Junior. You
3: may quote me. You may say for me that I feel the more we import and export, the more stuff goes in and out. LAUGHTER
2: Statement,
3: dearie. Uh, yep. You may tell your meeting that I said the more countries trade with each other, the better off we all are and well and we'll oh, be. Oh, I worse. see. you
1: you feel that the ship of state sails best with the trade winds. Exactly. Thank you, pal. That's a very thoughtful statement. So long,
4: Molly.
3: The ship of state sails best with the trade winds. Hey, did you hear what I said to Wilcox there, Molly? My gosh, that was quite a phrase I turned there, you know. What?
2: I've heard of plagiarism, but I didn't know it could happen that fast,
3: dear. <laughs> I may be able to work that into my... Oh, why don't somebody leave me alone and let me write?
2: Shall so I send them away or just holler, come in? Oh, oh it's Oli from the Oaks Club, McGee.
3: Hello, Ollie. Well, hello, missus. Hello, McGee. Hi, Ollie. I can't waste time with you now. I'm writing a novel. Good. I talked to the missus. It's a screenplay. Going to sell it to the movies. Well, I have one for you. Well, missus, how's things with you? Oh, fine,
2: Ollie. What i want to sell this think?
3: story for maybe half a million bucks, Ollie. Can you think of any better way to pick up that much dough outside of finding uranium in the backyard? What's good about finding uranium? I got a backyard full of uranium. It don't make me rich.
2: You've got uranium in your backyard? Does the government know about it?
3: Sure, my congressman, he sends me free seeds. I plant them by the directions, and every spring, up comes uranium. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh, uranium. <laughs> We thought you meant uranium-235. 235. For 235, McGee, I can buy roses.
4: <laughs>
3: you, you sell a movie script, boy, and you can buy anything. Well, I'll let you know when my story of the typewriter plays the you, ole, You get a kick out of seeing my name on the screen. Oh, I see your picture on the screen all the time, McGee.
2: McGee's picture?
3: On the screen, Ollie. Where? My gosh, I didn't... At the Elf Club,
1: McGee. Huh? He got a hole in the back door screen. I what? use your picture to keep out the flies. <laughs> It works fine. Even keeps out people. That's so long, Mrs. <laughs> the King's Men and the Typewriter, Serenade. A. 79
4: Wistfulness in 1949 I take my underwood and hand and drop you a line Tap a tap a ting, tap a tap a ting, tap a tap a ting. It's singing, singing you the news in a little typewriter serenade. Every little tap means a little kiss, tap a tap a ting. It's ringing, bringing you my heart in a little typewriter serenade. And while I'm t- Tappa tappa ting, tapa tappa ting, tapa tappa ting, it is ending. Sending you my love in a little typewriter serenade. Page one is through, and here's page two. Just a line or two telling you what's new so you won't be blue. My the gumps Junior has the mumps. See, I'm in the dumps. I miss you, Gotta tell you so, in a little typewriter serenade. And while I'm riding you this letter, i better get finished with it. So I'll say goodnight, don't forget to write till I hold you tight. Real soon, dear, here's all my love, in a little typewriter ride right, a serenade. serenade, serenade.
3: I'll bet even Sinclair Lewis don't write this fast.
2: You see, you've already wired a couple of movie stars, McGee? Yep,
3: in fact, this yarn is tailor-made for them. It's a natural, you see? Uh Uh-oh, maybe that's a messenger boy. It's about time I was hearing from them movie stars. Come in. Oh, it's his
2: honor, McGee. Hello,
1: Mr. Mayor. Hello, Molly. Good day, McGee. Oh, sorry to interrupt your letter writing. I'm not writing letters, LeTrib. I'm writing a movie. First movie you ever wrote,
3: McGee? First one this week. I'm writing the story
1: of the typewriter, Latreve.
2: His next story will be called Fog. It'll be a condensed version.
1: (laughs) Well, this is sort of a synopsis, too, I presume. Can you tell the story of the typewriter in a nutshell, McGee?
3: Now, that's an interesting question, Latreve. If I can do that, think what I can save in postage.
2: Yes. If it gets too long, dear, you can even use a coconut shell.
1: (laughs) What size shell did you have in mind, Latreve? Oh, I'd say a walnut shell. Write the story on fine tissue paper, wad it up tightly, and send it to Hollywood in a nutshell. (laughs) Better
2: go, McGee. He meant a real nutshell.
1: What did you think I meant? Never mind. (laughs) You ever do any creative writing, Latrice? A little, yes, yes. I've always believed the pen was mightier than the sword.
2: Except maybe at a military wedding. Imagine the bride and groom having to crawl along under crossed pens dripping ink on them.
3: (laughs) You mean when you were in the service, LaTribe, you could fight better with a pen than you could with a
1: sword? Oh, yes, indeed. (laughs) Yes, we had pens that were full of tear gas. Much more effective than swords.
2: (laughs) Well, now what shall we talk about?
1: Want me to read you my
3: movie story, Latriv? As far as I've got? Only take an hour and a half or so. You see, the first shot is a
1: cottage in England. We trucked the camera up to a pub. Ah, England. I love England. I'm an old Oxford man, you know.
2: Oh, not McGee. He prefers high shoes. (laughs) He says Oxfords don't support the ankle properly.
3: Besides, those Oxfords of yours don't look so old. How many times have you had them half sold?
1: Three times. I'm really an old Oxford man. (laughs) Walks are so hard on the feet when you have to do as much walking as I do. It's so no use, like you.
2: McGee. Let's give it up. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Look, Latrive, if you
3: don't want to cooperate,
1: why don't you run along and let me get to work? I'm sure I don't know what you mean, McGee, but if I'm interfering with your work, I shall be only too happy to remove myself. Good day. <laughs>
2: I wonder if he's catching on or whether this was just coincidental.
3: Search me. We sure didn't get any place with him today. Oh, well, i got to get back to work. Let's see.
2: McGee, what movie stars did you say you wired about taking part in this picture of yours? And uh, weren't you being slightly premature?
3: Oh, no, because this will be such an important picture, I wanted
2: to have exactly
3: the two people that would. Will... Ah, here we are. Here we are.
2: Come in. Get him, McGee. That's himself there, lad. Two telegrams okay. for you, Max. Sign
3: here. Okay, bud. And here's a dollar for yourself.
2: Gee, thanks. Wasn't that a rather heavy tip
3: here? It wasn't too big a tip. Because if this story sells, I can afford it. And if it don't, I may be delivering telegrams one of these days myself. <laughs> Maybe somebody will give me a dollar.
2: Well, who are the wires from? Open them up quick. Okay,
3: let's see. Wait, see. Oh, my God. What? Gregory Peck can't make it. Oh dear! Oh, dear. says he's got previous commitments. Doggone it! How about
2: the other one? Oh, wait, I get it.
3: Let's see. Oh, can you beat that for rotten luck? She's tied up too. Who? Marsha Hunt. With all the dirty luck I ever. Well. That's that, I guess.
2: That's that. Oh, McGee, that. what are you doing? You're tearing up your manuscript, and it was almost done. Well, it's
3: no good now, Snooky. Why,
2: isn't it there are other actors besides Gregory Peck and Marsha Hunt? Not
3: for this picture. How can you do the story of the typewriter without Hunt and Peck?
1: Pepper <laughs> and Molly return in a moment. The mellow beauty that Johnson's Paste Wax brings to a home is a beauty you've probably seen and remembered. You're bound to remember the rich, lustrous finish of wood surfaces that have been polished with this remarkable wax. But maybe you don't know this. How easily and quickly you can polish your waxed floor when you have Johnson's new Beauty Floor Electric Polisher. All you do is guide this polisher across the floor. The big, whirling brush buffs your floor in a few seconds. Ask your dealer about Johnson's new Beauty Floor Electric Polisher. You can buy one now, or rent one at low cost if you prefer.
3: Hey, Molly, who's going to do the summer show for the Johnson people?
2: Oh, they have a wonderful show lined up, McGee. Yeah? It stars Ken Darby and the King's Men, and features their king for a night with a guest king every week.
3: Oh, that sure sounds very good. How many more shows have we got?
2: Just one more after tonight. Just one? Yeah, just one. You sure? Yeah, I think hey,
3: so. Hey, oh, I don't know. Wait till I count my sodamin tablets.
2: <laughs> yep, you're right.
3: Only one left. Good night.
2: Good night, all. <laughs>
1: of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Roll Coat, Racing Wisconsin, and Brantford, Canada bring you Philip McGee and Molly each week at this time. Be with us again next Tuesday night,
4: won't you? Robinson. Rub it on. Robinson.
1: Wipe it off. That's how easy it is with Johnson's New, the auto polish that saves you work while giving your car a Sunday shine. First, Carnew cleans your car, cuts through traffic tarnish and road film that water won't touch. Second, Carnew polishes your car, makes the whole body sparkle like new. Yes, cleaning a car can be a hard job, but not with Carnew, because Carnew cleans and polishes your car in one easy application. Tomorrow, ask your nearest service station or dealer for Johnson's Carnew. Just rub it on, wipe it off. That's all you do with Carnew. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. WMAQ and WMAQ-FM, NBC in Chicago.